yeah, right. Look, I need your title. So then enter the tournament and go for it. Maybe you didn't hear me. I need your title. You don't enter, and that affects my financial future, Daniel. And I'm not going to let that happen. Get it? Listen, I have nothing to prove, all right? I have no reason to fight. So yeah, well, I do. I get some money to make. Give me the application. Listen, I said forget about it. Welcome to Cobra Kai. Doesn't matter if you're a loser or a nerd or a freak. All that matters is that you become badass. Welcome to Cobra Kai Never Dies podcast, hosted by AC Cristales and Jose Barron. We're the podcast show that breaks down and shares insight gained from the hit Netflix series Cobra Kai. Are you ready? then fall in welcome to cobra kai never dies podcast today jose and i have the honor and privilege of interviewing actor author comedian and producer who early in his career was chosen at an open call by oscar-winning director john avildsen from over 2,000 hopefuls for the role of the infamous mike barnes in the karate kid part three however our guest has also created two iconic characters as A.J. Quartermain in General Hospital and also in The Young and the Restless as Deacon Sharp. Our guest has also performed on the comedy stage and has authored several books, including the new one coming out in 2021 entitled The Way of the Cobra. Ladies and gentlemen, listeners of the podcast, allow me to welcome the one, the only, Sean Kanan. Sean, thank you so much for joining Jose and I. Hey, Jose. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. No problem, man. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, man. So, hey, there's a lot that we want to talk to you about, but I'm, I'm, I'm big on honoring time. So let's go ahead and get to it, man. Now, I read somewhere that you've been into martial arts since you were a teenager. So do you remember what sparked your interest in martial arts? Well, it was a couple of things. First of all, um, I went through a really bad period of getting bullied when I was a kid when I was younger and it, it was significant. Um, I remember that I was working at one of my father's stores as a stock boy and a bunch of the older guys that were stock boys uh, were all training in martial arts and they brought photos in one time of you know them working out in class and doing bag work and kicks. And I was like, that's really cool. And then um, I, I decided, cause it was kind of like when Rocky came out, I think it was 1970, Rocky yeah, came yeah, out yeah. <laughs> dating myself, right? Rocky mania like swept the world. Right. So I, I got into boxing and um, I grew up in a, a town in Western Pennsylvania called Newcastle, but I was boxing uh, like on the South side of Youngstown, Ohio. And these were guys that were boxing to get out of their uh, socioeconomic situation. And I was like this nice suburban kid going over there, having my mom drive me over to basically the hood and I'd go box. And really quickly, my parents were like, look, this is, this, this may not be the best avenue for you. Yeah. And so they said, why don't you get into karate? And I was like, ah, karate, I don't really know. And I I stepped into a dojo, a Shotokan dojo, and I started training and it just, it bit me, man. Um, it spoke to me, the, you know, the philosophy, the, I needed discipline at that point in my life. And uh, it really gave it to me and I, I fell in love with it. So I had trained in Japanese sort of hard style martial arts for a good several years, uh, you know, well before I ever had the audition for uh, Karate Kid 3. And it's a good thing that I did because I just don't think they could have hired somebody that had no martial arts background to try and make them look like a black belt. And I'm jumping around here a little bit, but um, 
you know, it's weird the way life works out sometimes. So my little school in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, eventually was absorbed and joined a school that was run by Fumio Demera. And Master Demera, they've made a movie about him called The Real Miyagi. He was Pat Maruta's stunt double. So how how crazy is it that that's kind of like destiny? And so when I was out pursuing my acting career in Los Angeles, uh, I moved out in 87. Um, He had already done the first first or maybe even the first two Roddy kids. And he knew that I I was pursuing acting. And he said, hey, listen, um, they're going to be looking for the new heavy, the new bad guy for Karate Kid 3. You should you should try an audition. So it's just weird how um, in a lot of ways, life left some breadcrumbs for me that led me to that. Okay. Yeah, for sure. So obviously, you know, you, you said you were into Rocky, you got into martial arts. So who were some of the, do you remember watching those martial arts movies? I think, you know, during that time, if we're dating ourselves, right, you know, Bruce <laughs> Lee, you know, just uh, all those, right? Enter the Dragon and all that going on, right? You know, I'll tell you something, brother. Um, I used to, I used to love to go. I still do. I love to go to the movies by myself. Okay. You know, a lot of, a lot of guys, when they get angry, they go to the bar. I like, I like to go to the movies by myself. <laughs> Right. And I didn't know it at the time, but as a young kid watching the outlaw Josie Wales and Bruce Lee and Obi-Wan Kenobi, they were my earliest mentors and they really sparked my interest in um, in wanting to be an actor. Um, I remember one time where my dad was, but he went to some event uh, dinner or something, and Chuck Norris was there. And he brought me a photo of Chuck Norris. And I'll never forget what it said. It said, Sean, keep on kicking. And decades later, I was doing a fight scene with Chuck Norris on Walker, Texas Ranger. And I made, you know, so I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of my idols. I don't know if that's the right word, but, you know, people that in my, my early adolescence and teens uh, really looked up to. So uh, it's it's just been interesting, and it, that was that was really incredible for me to eventually work with Chuck, who is just a, an incredible guy. Well, that's pretty cool, man. So those are so those full circle moments, man. The first one with Mr. Miyagi stunt double, and there, you know, having the opportunity to work with Chuck Norris, man. So that's pretty and, cool. And if you want to, if you want to layer one more <laughs> bit of crazy onto it, the show that I did, the episode I did uh, called "The Eyes of a Ranger" with Chuck Norris. Frank Stallone was the other guest. Ah, star. there you go. Ah, <laughs> there we go. Nuts, right? Last brother. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Love Frank. All right, Jose, go ahead, man. So this, obviously this love for martial arts opened the door for you to enter into the Karate Kid film franchise. Can you share how that process played out for you to earn the role of Mike Barnes? Sure. No, and, and look, I've told this story many, many times, and it's also in my <laughs> book, so I'm going to kind of expedite it. Because okay. I, I've got okay. a lot of people listening have heard it, and they're sick of it. But long story short, there was an open call. And for those people that don't know what an open call is or a cattle call, anyone in the world can show up. Okay? And so I... Uh, I I went to the casting director's office and I said, Hey, I'm, I'm like a real actor. I have my, you know, my SAG card and I, I've done one episode of a show that basically just got canceled. I'm a real actor. And she's <laughs> like, yeah, it doesn't matter. You have to go audition in the open call. <laughs> so I showed up, I think it was August and uh, I get to the studio and there must've been, I don't know, 1500, 2000 people lined up like a snake all around the, uh, the studio and there's John Avelson. He's got 
this little um, video camera and he's walking up the line and every now and then he'll stop with somebody and film them and you know, have him do like a little improv. And I knew I had to get his attention. Now, this is John Abelson who directed the first two Karate Kid films and won the Oscar for Rocky. For Rocky, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, he stopped in front of me. You know, I kind of, I kind of like, let, let me see how I could say this and not be, I, 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 I effed him. Okay. I was like, <laughs> so he stopped and he goes, okay, do uh, you intimidate me? And uh, so I, I did a quick improv with him and he goes, okay, I buy that. And he took me inside the studio and it was like a three ring circus. There was entertainment tonight. There was uh, um, like access Hollywood. And the whole thing was in my estimation, a publicity stunt because the chances of finding one of your lead actors in the third installment of a worldwide successful franchise, it just doesn't happen like that, right? I figure it's the third installment. It needs a little shot in the arm. They're doing some publicity stuff, right? There's Ralph Macchio. Um, they had a set and they had me go do a, a little scene improv with him. And, you know, I thought it went really well. And um, uh, they went and they hired somebody else. Uh, so they hired somebody oh, else man. for a week. Yeah. And it was crushing. And uh, about a week later, they fired him. They let the guy go. He just wasn't able to do what they wanted him to do. And they remembered me and called me in. And, and the rest is kind of history. That's awesome. Man. That's awesome. That's, well, yeah. the fact that you, you know, stayed with it and you got it eventually. But hey, quick question, man. I, I'm a big fan of Entourage. So I remember Johnny Drama. And was it like that, man? Were there uh, were there 2,000 people that looked like Mike Barnes had the Mike Barnes liquor? How, how was that, man? <laughs> no, it wasn't like that because, I mean, they didn't, you know, they didn't know what they were Mike looking Barnes for? Look like, I mean, you know, there were black guys, white guys, Latin guys, girls, Asian guys. I mean, it was like everybody, right? Oh wow! And, and some, oh okay. Some guys, I other Variety. This one guy, this one guy was in a white gi with like two bags of weapons with him. <laughs> Just like it was nuts. <laughs> wow. I, I don't know if you thought that, like, uh, would, like do a side demonstration or you know a three sectional staff. Yeah. But uh, he came prepared. Oh, man. So that really was an open call, man. Wow. It was open. Wow. Yeah. Did they yeah. have the name Mike Barnes, though, or was it just like a karate bully? They or... had the name Mike Barnes. They had the name Mike Barnes, and he was described as a 17-year-old white Mike Tyson, which I have never thought of myself as. Right, so you didn't come uh, in with a gold tooth, did you? Like Tyson? No. no I've never, you know, I, I've never thought of myself as being, a, you know, like a tough guy or anything like that. I mean, I, you know, listen, I... I can handle myself, but I mean, you know, I, I never thought of myself that way. And there were definitely some much scarier looking guys there, but you know, um, uh, I, you know, I, I guess, I guess some of the acting came into play yeah. because yeah. Yeah, for sure. For well, that's sure. awesome. You took your chance. I uh, love I that. Man. Dice, right? Exactly. That's it. Right, well, man. we're glad you got the role. That's for me sure. too. Believe me, brother. Me too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that's going to lead into this question, man. Because for me, I have to say this. You know, so Jose and I, you know, we we're doing this Cobra Kai Never Dies podcast because we love the show. We love the Karate Kid film franchise. But speaking about Karate Kid Part Three, right, which a lot of people know you as, you know, for me personally, it was mike barnes it was terry silver that made karate kid 3 a movie worth watching because it's not one of those things where i'll, I'll keep watching but if i do if i get on youtube the scene i'm going to is you kicking daniel's ass you know at the tournament man so uh and that's one of my favorite scenes man when you just obliterate daniel man you're like get on the line larusso you're worthless you're nothing you're not a champ you're karate you're karate shit you know but i read my, i read sean that you improvise that man is that true 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, John Abelson gave me a couple little ideas, but they just kind of, you know, they kind of said, go nuts. And <laughs> I did. Right. And, uh, God, I don't even remember if, if your karate is a joke was scripted or if I came up with it. Um, I, you know, I do remember, I'm pretty sure that John Abelson said to call Mr. Miyagi a slope, which I never would have done because I kind of thought it was offensive. Yeah. I mean, it is offensive, but, but, you know, that's kind of who the character was, but I think the rest of it, I mean, it was pretty much me just kind of going bonkers and seeing what stuck to the wall. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling <laughs> you, man, you know, in fact, I have a 15 year old nephew. So, you know, he's into Cobra Kai, man, hasn't really seen all the karate kids. Now he has because of Cobra Kai. But, you know, my brother and I, we were watching, you know, the movies at the house. We more, more just going through YouTube. And I'm telling you, that's the clip we went to when you're just getting on oh, to Daniel, man. That's just, that's just badass. Dude. So, Get on that line. That. <laughs> Get on the line, no. Russo. <laughs> you know, because really it, it was my first big movie and the producers obviously knew Martin Cove, uh, uh, Ralph Macchio, Pat Morita, they, they were proven commodities and uh, Thomas and I were the new guys. Right. And so I don't, really think they were a thousand percent sure I was going to be able to pull it off. And if that moment in the film doesn't work, then it's a domino effect because then the moment when Mr. You know, then, then Daniel who has to be so terrified doesn't work. And which leads into Mr. Miyagi having that great line, you know, you know, uh, must not lose to fear. Yeah. And so, so after one of the takes when I was going nuts they were like, they were jumping up and down and they were like, you know, and I, I was like, oh, okay. And they were like, not really <laughs> sure that I was going to be able to do it. Yeah. And I guess obviously they were happy and it, and it worked. Oh, for sure. It definitely did, man. All right, Jose, yeah, what you it got? Yeah, it fits perfectly. Sean, we know one of the things that makes the Karate Kid franchise timeless is the work that Pat Morita did as Mr. Miyagi. You spoke about him a bit in the documentary more than Mr. More than Miyagi. But can you tell our listeners a little bit more about what it was like working with Pat and what you enjoyed most about working with him? I don't remember if I said this in the documentary or not, but, um, you know, for me, I was first introduced to Pat uh, on Happy Days. Oh, okay. you know, he was Arnold. Oh, okay. And I used to run home from school and, uh, you know, I, it was it was on a lunchtime. So, I mean, I, I was, you know, it was the Fonz. I had the lunchbox. I had a leather jacket. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I was I was in deep, right? And, uh, you know, I was, I was a ticket paying customer for the first two karate kid films. So I was a fan and, uh, you know, then suddenly I'm, I'm on the back lot of a studio and I'm filming with them. And, uh, he was very nice. Uh, he was, he was very, uh, patient with me because, you know, I was definitely green and rough around the edges and had never been involved with a big film. And, you know, there's a whole there's a whole language that you use when you're on a film. Um, everything from, you know, uh, different, different lighting terms to camera terms to, you know, blocking, et cetera. And I, I just, I literally didn't know. It sounded like they were speaking another language to me for a while. Yeah. And so I'm sure I made sort of, you know, rookie mistakes and things like that that had to be corrected. And, and, you know, he was always uh, very kind and very patient and, uh, uh, it, it was it was really an honor to work with him. That's good. He was man. a mentor on and off the, off yeah. the set, huh? That's sure. awesome. Yeah. So how, how do you feel though, man? We're about to jump into your book and talk about that, but obviously, again, you know, we've talked about the role, right, Mike Barnes, and and when you think about 
you know, the Karate Kid film franchise, you think about those characters who stand out. So Kreese, Miyagi, Daniel, obviously, uh, but Chosen, and then Terry Silver and Mike Barnes. How how do you feel with that, man? Do you feel like that you were typecast? Because I was going through IMDb, man, and I noticed you were on a pilot for Revenge of the Nerds, which is one of my favorite movies too, man. But do you feel that you were typecast? I, I don't think so, right? Because you were able to get on General Hospital and Young and the Restless. But just tell us how you know, being in the Karate Kid part three opened, you know, other opportunities for you. Okay. Let me, let me answer your first question first. Okay. Was I typecast? Um, I feel like I was a little bit for a while and I'll tell you why in the eighties. I don't know if you remember, there was a film called, uh, pretty in pink. Was it pretty in pink? Pretty in pink, which James, Part in, and we looked a lot alike at the time. Um, actually, we kind of look a lot alike at the time now. Who's that again? Um, who's that again? Say that. James Spader, who's on Blacklist now. Okay. But, okay. But but you know he had this glorious head of blonde hair, and he played like this really sort of you know douchey bad guy, and so it was kind of and even Billy, like it was like the thing to have you know these blonde handsome guys playing douchebags, right? Yeah. So I fit right into it. So I, I did a couple of those roles. Um, as I was trying to study and learn to act and get my, my sea legs on as an actor. So I think for a little while, until I did some theater, until I really spent some time in acting class and was able to expand my repertoire, repertoire of tools, um, I tended to play some parts that were very similar because I was cast in roles that people sort of knew I could do. Yeah. Okay. Um, your second question was, can you repeat that? Other ways that were just open for you as a result of this, because I remember reading something that, you know, Ralph Macho finally got to the point where like, look, this, they're always going to remember him as, you know, LaRusso, you know, and so you kind of just got to own it. But even with that, you know, you do other things. I know Zapka, you know, has said the same thing. That's why he kind of got away from it. He just focused on directing. But in, in your case, right, we're talking about you, right, Sean, right now. Uh, how has it, you know, just, you know, just helped you along these last, you know, 20, 25 years? Well, it's done a couple things. I mean, the, the first thing is to, to join a, a film that already has an international worldwide following. It's not like doing, you know, some obscure film that becomes popular. It's like it had a built-in fan base. And so it kind of put me on the map right away. And, and uh, I guess, I don't know, ingratiated me with, with a large, large group of fans. And that's happened to me a couple of times in my career. It happened with General Hospital, too. Obviously, General Hospital's been on since the 50s. You know, you do a month or two on a soap opera, and if your character um, begins to become successful, you've literally got millions of people who know who you are. And then with The Bold and the Beautiful being the most syndicated show in the world, um, that kind of took it internationally for me. So I've been very fortunate that I've kind of been able to kind of grab on the coattails of, of a couple of um, very, very successful projects. The other thing is that I, I believe, and I, I'm not 100% sure, but I, I think I'm right, that by the time the Karate Kid 3 had come around, you know, Pat and Ralph did tons of press for the first two. And I think they were probably tired and just didn't want to do it and answer the same questions. And so it kind of fell onto me and the studio sent me out on a 12 city tour. And as a young actor, it was amazing because it was like going to publicity school. Yeah. You know, I learned to talk to the press. I learned how to conduct an interview and to do all of this stuff that a lot of actors don't have the opportunity to do until they're much older. And I, I did when I was like 21 years old. 
Um, it also afforded me a great deal of um, recognition. So it, it was it was a kind of a big plus for me. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I get recognized a lot for a character I played 30 years ago. I'm <laughs> largely success of Cobra Kai. And, you know, now there's a, a, you know, a whole other generation that now is enamored with the Karate Kid universe through Cobra Kai. Um, but I, I think I'd be really silly and, um, and, and ungrateful if I didn't say that I sincerely appreciate it. And that I'm humbled by the fact that after 30 some years, you know, there's still some relevance to a, a role that I played. I mean, I've done probably, I don't know, 20, 25 films, then a thousand episodes of television. I mean, this this was a big job for me, but it was a job that I had decades ago. And it still remains one of the most sort of recognizable things that I've done. And I'm, I'm really appreciative for it. For sure. Jose, let me ask you, man, why do you think that is? Why do you think people still remember Sean for that role as Mike Barnes? Cause I have my opinion. I think you, you just kick ass and I'm not trying to kiss ass. <laughs> I'm just saying you kick ass, but Jose, why do you think it, you know, like he said, after 30 years, man, now there's a new generation, obviously, you know, the guys in their forties like us, you know, we, we love <laughs> that movie, but why do you think that is? For me, it was the intensity that you brought to the character. I mean, you you know how you shared the story about how John Avelston told you to uh, intimidate LaRusso. You did such a brilliant job that I felt intimidated just <laughs> watching it. So, <laughs> like, you, know, you just laser focused. So I, I just love what you brought to the character. And, you know, it's all the fight scenes with uh, Daniel. And I... I Sure, you've been told about this, but you kicked Robin Lively's character, Jessica. <laughs> that stands out. Yeah, it's funny. People always say, oh, how scary Mike Barnes was. I said, listen, trust me, I would have been scared of Mike Barnes, too, you know, right? at, at, at that age. Probably still now, but um, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun, guys. That's really awesome, was. man. Fighters, on your line. Come on, get up! Get on that line! Get on that line, LaRusso! You're worthless! Let's get into your new book, The Way of the sure. Cobra, and I want to read a brief excerpt from the philosophy section of your book. And it goes like this, I've got good news and bad news. Funny how it always seems to work that way. If you're like me and Don Corleone from The Godfather, you insist on getting the bad news first. Here it is, I don't have the answer. I can't give you a silver bullet to magically turn you into someone who is successful, focused, confident, you know, a badass. Now for the good news, the answer already exists inside of you. It's like the Zen riddle, how did the ship get in the bottle? It was always there. The answer to creating the life you want already exists within you. You may be experiencing tremendous success right now if you're snapping necks and casino checks, and that's awesome. But if you feel stuck and frustrated, that's even better. Your Cobra will harness those feelings to rocket yourself through a positive change. But you must do two things. First, you must accept that you were born a winner. Sean. That's badass, man. That is badass. Yeah. So not hey, only that, I, I love The Godfather hey. because I, I'm big into The Godfather as well. But who is it, right? <laughs> <laughs> so my first question with that, man, what inspired you to write this book, The Way of the Cobra? So 
about three years ago, I guess three years ago, I was in a period of my life. I think a lot of people can um, relate to this. You know, I had, I had had some pretty successful uh, times in my life and I'd also had some pretty epic and somewhat public failures. And uh, I was also 35 pounds overweight. I had no prospects for acting work. And I was looking in the mirror going, what's next, dude? What are you, what are you going to do? And I said, because you need to do something. You need to do it quickly. Uh, and so I decided that rather than wait for my ship to come in, I was going to build the damn ship. I needed to do some things very differently, very quickly. And in the matter of one year, I created and uh, uh, I created uh, Studio City, uh, got it on Amazon Prime with the help of my partners, and we were nominated for eight Emmys, uh, won one. Um, I co-authored Success Factor X, which was an Amazon new release bestseller, uh, and was voted one of the 20 most inspirational books by Book Authority over the last two decades, and I lost the 35 pounds. And I don't, I don't say that to impress anybody. I say it to impress upon people what can be done, because I am a very... In a lot of ways, I'm a very normal guy. I, you know, I, I have a lot of the same um, flaws and, and, you know, demons and struggles that I think we all have. And I took a really good look at what I needed to do to make these changes in my life. And um, Way of the Cobra encapsulates the strategies and the philosophy that I used that allowed me to, uh, you know, turn things around and experience some significant success. And I, you know, I, I thought I got into acting because I wanted to um, kind of express myself. And in reality, I got into it because I wanted to inspire people. And I, as I've gotten older, I learned that, that I can inspire people, not just through my acting, but also with my writing and my personal coaching and my motivational speaking. And this book is far and away the most um, personal book. Um, I use a lot of stories from my own life to attach to lessons that I impart. The book is set up. Um, the structure is that uh, it's a dojo, the dojo of life, Cobra life. I'm the sensei. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. And Cobra is an acronym for character optimization, balance, respect, and abundance. Oh. And, you know, a lot of people say to me, oh, well, you know, you know, is the book called Way of the Cobra because of Cobra Kai? Yes, it is. It absolutely is. I'm not, I'll cop to that because here's the thing. Um, I was working on it as another book in a, in, a, in a similar format, but not kind of Cobra-ized. And with as crazy a phenomenon as Cobra Kai is, I would be silly not to tap into everybody's interest in that because otherwise look writing a book is just the first step yeah you know the marketing and sale of the book is what comes next and unless this was going to be a book where five people bought it three of whom are my family i needed <laughs> to figure out a way that i could get this book in people's hands because i believe in this material i know it works i know it is the power to transform people's lives and you know i'm i'm fortunate that Cobra Kai is experiencing, uh, you know, the international success it is, and it allows me to tap into all the fans who, uh, you know, who, who love Cobra Kai. It's not a book about Cobra Kai. Uh, the only time that I think I mention it is in the story where I got the part of uh, Mike Barnes. But, you know, a Cobra is somebody that is living their best life, their most authentic life, and has unleashed their inner badass. And so uh, that's that's where that came from. That's awesome. Can you repeat what uh, Cobra stands for? That's pretty cool. 
Yeah, it's character, optimization, balance, respect, and abundance. So is there a specific chapter on each of those? Yeah, there, I mean, you know, I go into each one of them. Uh, and, you know, the first thing that I say is that, you know, character is everything. If you don't have good character, if you don't know who you are, you know, character is the way you treat somebody just because it's the right thing to do. Character is, you know, how you behave when no one's cheering and the lights aren't on. Character is when the chips are down and your back's against a wall, do you still do the right thing and you summon up that courage to, to make things happen, whether you succeed or not? And so, you know, that has to be the, um, that has to be the foundation for everything. Uh, optimization refers to life is not perfect. Perfection's a myth. So what a Cobra does is weighs out all the options in every situation and then takes the optimal action based on the information they have and where you are at the time. Balance, balance is critical to everything. Mr. Miyagi said this, uh, you know, you must achieve balance. What good is it if you're making millions of dollars a year, but your family feels neglected and you, you're not enjoying life? True that. Conversely, if you're not making point, any yeah. money, it breeds, you know, insecurity and it breeds all sorts of other stuff where your family doesn't feel secure. So it's, it's really achieving balance. Respect is everything. Respect for other people. Um, you know, we live in a society right now that has become so vitriolic and so divisive where there's a complete lack of civility sometimes. And it comes largely from people not understanding that you can disagree with somebody with not eviscerating and vilifying the core of who that person is. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. You know, I can, I, I can disagree with you, but I don't have to make that an ad hominem attack to get against everything you stand for. Um, um, abundance is really simple. You know, other people's success is not your failure. There's, there's enough of the pie to go around. So when other people succeed, it does nothing to take away your possibility of succeeding. You know, the universe has enough for all of us. And if you come from a place of gratitude, then you stay in the present. And if you understand that there is always more, you just have to kind of be a rainmaker and summon it, um, that we live in a world of infinite possibilities and endless and abundance, um, uh, you know, chances uh, to, to reach your own success. Man, Sean, thanks so much for sharing that, man. I don't. Uh... I just like right now. Boom. Nah, that, exactly, yeah, dude. You know why? Because mind blown. <laughs> exactly. Because one of the things that we pride ourselves with this podcast, it's not so much recapping the show. It's more talking about the wisdom and the insight that we gain from it, man, because we have this belief, you know, that there's there's wisdom in everything, man. You can watch, you know, a 30 minute show and you can there's one quote that can stick out to you and how is it relevant to your life man so i love the fact that you broke that down for our listeners because again that's what they're accustomed to listening to you know we yeah we talk about each episode but we also take lessons from it man because they're applicable man anybody if you're looking for wisdom if you're looking for some sort of inspiration and motivation you can find that in anything man and so uh thanks for sharing that and one of the things that i wanted to say yeah you're you're of course you named it the cobra it has to do with cobra kai because of it there's a marketing aspect to it sure. but more than that Dude, you were a star in it, man. You were a star in part three. It's not like you were like some guy who, I don't know, Snake. Snake, I'm not trying to diss Snake, but yeah, snake. you know, you, 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 you're Mike Barnes, man. You were like Cobra Kai, you know, hell yeah, you're a badass. Karate's son. bad boy. Yeah. Well, I hope everyone will pick the book up. I mean, look, yeah, obviously, you know, I'm doing a lot of podcasts and I'm doing publicity because I want to sell books. And that's what you do when you have a book out. But I honestly, in my heart, know that this book can help people. You know, we've all gone through, 
as a as a as a group, we have gone through some crazy stuff this last year. And now as things start to open up, you know, people are trying to re-engage and rematriculate into whatever the new normal is after a year or so of of basically chaos and craziness. And I think people are really looking for something that's going to kind of light the way. That's going to that's going to reignite that fire in their belly and say, okay, look, we, you know, we got knocked down, but we're, you know, we're getting up. And, and we're moving on and, and better things. And so I hope that people will uh, pick up the book. It's at wayofthecobra.com. And, um, you know, my sincerest hope is not to sell books, although that's great. And, you know, I, I got to feed the family and keep the lights on. But I, I know that this book has the ability to help people and transform their lives. That's awesome. man. I love the conviction, man. I love the conviction. All right, Jose, yeah. what you got? Yeah, Sean. Wow. I mean, hey, you broke it down very well, Cobra. Thanks, brother. It stood for in the book. But um, I did want to ask you, is there a phrase or section of the book that you're most proud of? Is there a section of the book that I'm the most proud of? Um, there's a couple. Um, I really break it down about what it was like auditioning for Karate Kid 3 and you know, finding out that I didn't get the role and then getting the role. And then I became, uh, you know, injured and almost died during the role and had to fight my way back into the film. And a lot of what I talk about in the book is the concept of story that human beings, um, we attach stories to events that happen in our lives. And a lot of times people will, will attach negative stories to things that have happened and those stories weigh them down. Okay. Now, Check this out. I mean, human beings are actually not the greatest historians. So, you know, something will happen and we will remember it one way. And it's probably at best about 30 percent. <laughs> you watched a film of what really happened and you watch a film of what your perception of it is. Not really the same. Right. Exactly. So we create right. a story. Yes. Fortunately, a lot of the stories are negative. So if we agree that the stories that we create are created through the prism of our life experience, of the people in our lives, of the external influences that we're bombarded with, why not create a positive story? Something that motivates you, something that lifts you up and drives you towards success, rather than some story that is gonna keep you uh, in inertia. And I'll just say something really quickly. So I tell a story about two boys, each raised in identical homes. Alcoholic father, he's abusive to the mother of the children, can't keep a job, drinks away all the money. First kid, unfortunately, grows up to mirror his father and becomes an abusive alcoholic who can't keep a job. The second kid says, I am never going to put my family at risk. I am never going to make my family feel insecure or unloved or threatened and decides that he's never going to drink. And so two guys with identical circumstances, each attached different stories to those circumstances, and it completely changed the trajectory of the rest of their life. So human beings don't usually have the ability to see the 30,000 foot view, right? So what happens initially that we assign a negative connotation to with the expansion of time may very well not be negative at all. Um, you know, when I got divorced about 20 years ago, it was crushing. It was devastating. It was a, a failure. Um, I, you know, it was all the bad stuff you could think. But now with the expansion of time over 20 years, it opened me up 
to meet my second wife, Michelle, who is my soulmate. She's my everything. And had, had I not been divorced, it never would have happened. Now, if I had not assigned such a negative story to my initial divorce, knowing what would happen afterwards, think of all the swirl and all the chaos mentally it would have saved me. So a lot of what I talk about in the book is when something happens, and look, bad things happen, difficult challenges happen. But if you could kind of stay the center course and say, we shall see, I don't know yet, and not flip out, generally speaking, not always, but generally speaking, most things that initially seem bad are never as bad as we think they are. And conversely, most things that we think are amazing and great tend to be fleeting and are not as amazing and great as we think they are. So it's, it's kind of like the Buddhists talk about that, that middle path. You know, don't get pulled off one way or the others. Keep buying the prize and keep on trucking. Man, that's awesome. And I love your transparency, yeah, that's man. Great. That's just, yeah. Any, anything you want to say with that, Jose? That's good stuff, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I like how you uh, assess it and just, you know, basically not focus on the negative, you know? Well, you know, I think, I think in order to gain the trust of my readers that, you know, I, I have to be honest. And I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not, yes, I'm positioning myself as the sensei, but I full disclosure that, you know, I have my struggles, I've had my challenges and I'm just a guy that has figured some stuff out that has been able to, you know, overcome, go through, go around some of those challenges. The one thing you can't do is turn tail and run from them because they will find you in one way or the other. And, and I think the, one of the few ways to really connect with my reader is by being honest and, and, you know, copying to stuff and telling them about stuff times in my life when I've made mistakes. For sure. Well, Sean, that's that's what makes you more relatable, man. You know, I mean, I wouldn't write, want to read a book from somebody who's had everything perfect in their life, you know, because I can't relate to that. You know, so like you said, one of the things that you mentioned before you started talking about the book is like, look, we all go through our stuff. You know, we uh, and especially, you know, in this past year, we've all gone through, you know, 2020 and, and going through all that, man. So we've all had our struggles. We've all had our demons, as you say, that we fought, man. So definitely, you know, that transparency, that honesty, that's what attracts people, man. So in terms of of you writing this book, what were one of the most surprising things that you learned about yourself or just in general? through writing this book? I, I think that a lot of times people sort of downplay uh, things that they've learned, lessons that they have to share because they think maybe it sounds like it's self-important and arrogant. And when I really started putting a lot of this stuff down, I, I, I saw a pattern that, Look, I'd been knocked on my ass a lot of times and I'd done a lot of dumb stuff and made a lot of dumb mistakes. But one way or the other, I always seemed to kind of land on my feet. And I'm not saying I always learned right away. I mean, you know, I got a hard head. There's times I had to knock it a few times. But somehow I did manage to learn something from it. And I also realized that I've, I've got the ability uh, to convey that. And I, I, I felt an obligation to do it. And so I suddenly and unexpectedly started to actually see myself in the position of someone who's, who's a sensei, who's a teacher, who can say, look, here's my experience. Take from it what you want. It's like Bruce Lee. Take what you like, leave the rest. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't, you know, whatever. Okay. 
That's great, man. All right. Jose, anything else with, with the book? No, I mean, like you said, I really like how you acronym the Cobra. And, you know, it's definitely, like you said, it sounds like it's one of the books that's going to light a fire on you if you focus on, you know, what you mentioned on the book. So Yeah, I, I hope you, know, you guys looking, get it. And I, feel, I hope you yeah. guys will let me think of it. I really do. Yeah, for sure. We'll, we'll get to that when we get to the end, man, where you can plug again, where they can find it and where they can find more information about you. All right, Jose, what do you got next? Yeah, this section, Sean, I was just going to ask uh, just about Cobra Kai, just, you know, how we love the show, man, as people love the show. And I just wanted to ask you, um, do you love the show? And if you do, what what, uh, what about the show do you love about it? I do love the show. I think it's great. I love how the the writer-producers have flipped it on its head, you know, the, <laughs> the whole um, idea that possibly Johnny was the one who was bullied and Daniel's the bully. Um, yeah. I love that it's infused with humor, and I love the fact that it's cross-generational. I mean, it's not easy to appeal to two very different different age demographics. You know, you're appealing to the guys like us who were sort of, uh, you know, the veterans, the ones who were there in the beginning. And then you're appealing to these young kids who a lot of them, they like watched Cobra Kai first and then went back and watched the Karate Kid films. And so when you're writing for two very different uh, uh, generations, pretty tough to hit the mark with both and they've done that right and and yeah um you know these guys did hot tub time machine and they did harold and kumar so i i love the humor yeah i like how you Absolutely. said veterans man that's what we consider ourselves <laughs> veteranos bro veteranos <laughs> yeah man shout one of the things that i love about the shows like you said it's like how they flip the script but to me it's also a story about redemption so i love as you were talking about your book the way of the cobra you talked about we all have a story so Within this, like I said, you know, we watched the show and I'm like, man, it's it's a redemptive story, right? Johnny Lawrence is being redeemed, you know, even in this past season, season three, you know, we saw Chosen. He redeemed himself when he asked Daniel to forgive himself. So let's just say hypothetically speaking, we're not asking if you're going to be on the show, all right? But hypothetically speaking, what do you think Mike Barnes has been up to these past 30 years, man? You know, I I, I get that question a lot and I've, I've kind of narrowed it down to sort of two things. I mean, the first thing is, I think, wouldn't it be great if maybe he... You know, he finally got in enough trouble that a judge said, you're either going to jail or you're going to the military. And he went in the military <laughs> and he just took to it and became an officer and became a really good guy. And then maybe he comes back to Cobra Kai world and is a decent guy. But, you know, leopards, it's tough for them to change their spots. Something happens, his buttons get pushed, and then Mike's able to tap back into mini Mike again. And uh, <laughs> stuff goes up. Uh, or maybe he just became like a worse guy, went to prison, maybe got out and started doing like some underground bare knuckle fighting. I don't know. But I, I think whatever, whatever it was, wasn't boring. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Right. No, not not like that, man. Definitely. All right, Jose, what do you got? And I'm sure, Sean, uh, you know that we're fans of Cobra Kai and we're clamoring for Mark Barnes to be in it. And I know you can't answer any of that and we, we're not going to ask you, but because uh, I want it, AC wants it, we all want it. So if given the opportunity, how would you like to see Mike Barnes inserted into the Cobra Kai story? Um, well, you know, here's the thing that's interesting is, you know, Mike Barnes has a bit of a, a claim on 50% of the Cobra Kai dojo. He does. So, yes, yes, yes. I had yeah, that written right. down in my notes. <laughs> so I was going to be like, look, I got a LaRusso kid, but, you know, maybe that little clause wasn't in there. And so everyone always says, you know, <laughs> how, how would Mike, you know, fare against Johnny? They never even knew each other. There's no reason to believe that Mike and Johnny uh, would have any beef. Um 
And, I, you know, I, I, I kind of like to think that after 30 years, um, Mike was able to get over um, getting faked out by Akata. But I think he might actually have some issues with Sensei Kreese, uh, who's running Cobra Kai now. Right. Okay. Yeah, I like that. Okay, you, do, yeah. you do. No, you do have a stake in that. I was watching that scene. I was like, heck yeah, no, he's got a stake in it. <laughs> yeah. and you're right, you man. Fight as hard as you negotiate. <laughs> Not to mention the fact that wasn't it a little bit weird that there's a 17 year old boy and there's a grown adult with a ponytail naked in a jacuzzi. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, you're right, man. I, I like that. I like how you tie that in. So, Sean, you know, one of the things that you know, we as we talked about before we, you know, did the interview, you said you used just filmed a, a film with Bruce Willis, man. Killing Phil? Is that it? Yeah, it was really exciting. Uh, I was in Puerto Rico for a couple of weeks. Ah, doing a film that's called, nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Killing Field with uh, Bruce Willis and uh, Chad Michael Murray. Great experience. Um, I had a mohawk and my wife is like, yeah, we're going to shave that down. So she actually <laughs> shaved my head last night. So this is about the best I can do right now, but I like it. You know, it's kind of like you get out of the shower and I can't quit touching it. It's like, um, so uh, that, that was a great experience. And, you know, I grew up with Bruce Willis. I mean, you know, from Die Hard to Fifth Element to Pulp Fiction to some of his other lesser known films that I love, like Bandits and things like that. So uh, working with him was a tremendous honor. It was fun. He was a great guy. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to see the film to, you know, look, I mean, I, I, I'm going to be excited to see myself up there with for Bruce sure, Willis. We'll get it sure. Hey, that's right. Hey, Last Boy Scout. That's one of my favorites from him. You know, I love that one, too. Yeah, for sure. So will it be released in theater or, you know, because now more, more no, movies are going straight to Netflix know. or. My guess is it's probably going to be released on some video platform just because there's not a lot of films unless they're super, super big budget films going to theaters and even you look at like coming to america too yeah, yeah. Was yeah. So, so you know everybody is still watching so much content at home that i i would imagine from a business point of view it, it makes more sense and we'll get more eyes on it um releasing it uh, uh on on some video platform for sure well, hey we're looking forward to it man can you tell us just a bit of a synopsis man just to you know get our yeah you know it, it, uh, it's an action film. It takes place over the course of one day in one location at a farm. Uh, Bruce Willis and a partner and a bunch of bad guys basically duking it out. And, uh, you know, I've got a really fun part. I, I, I sort of play the comedic relief in a lot of ways. You, know, you think of it, look like this, this badass tough guy with a mohawk, but he's really kind of a pretty funny guy. So that was a, a lot of fun for me. Hey, and you got to shoot in Puerto Rico. So that's good, man. Puerto Rico in uh, <laughs> Called the place was about an hour in, an hour outside of us, San Juan in the mountains. But um, if, if I had a few Is minutes, Bayamon? Um, not Bayamon, no. You said it, I know it. I should. You think I would know it, but usually you're driving a set. It's four in the morning. It's dark outside. Like I'm trying to have coffee and it's bumping all over the place. So um, did you enjoy the food though? Good food out there. I love Puerto Rican food. food was really, food was really good. People were really cool. Really nice. Um, so, you know, and, and the, you know, the water is beautiful. It was, it was a great experience. That's awesome, man. Well, Sean, Hey, we're wrapping up. We got two more questions left. We truly appreciate you taking time to talk to us, man. And like I said, one of the things that I like to say about this podcast, again, just to repeat it, is that, you know, we share wisdom and insight that we gain from watching the show. And you've shared a lot of wisdom and insight as you've talked about your book. So we're appreciative of that. But what's one piece of advice that you live by that you'd like to share with our listeners? 
You know, a lot of people ask me, especially younger kids, they say, you know, what do I need to do to be successful? And I say, if you can do these couple of things, even if you're not the most talented guy in the room or girl in the room, you got about a 95% chance of being successful in life. I said, the first is painfully simple. You learned it in kindergarten, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat people the way you want to be treated. The second one is to behave with integrity. Say what you mean, mean what you say. Be dependable. You give your word. It's your bond. Do things you don't want to do when you say you're going to do them. Show up, suit up. Uh, the third one I would say is that you need to act with compassion and empathy towards people. Uh, you, you never know what private war somebody else is quietly enduring in their life. And it goes to story. I mean, it's like a lot of times, you know, somebody is behaving in a way that rubs you the wrong way. And it probably has nothing to do with you. You know, there's a quick thing I say in the in the book, you're walking down the street, some guy's walking down the street, pissed off, shoulder checks you and says, hey, asshole, watch where you're going. <laughs> well, are you an asshole? No, you don't know if this guy just lost his job. You don't know if this guy just lost his wife. You don't know if this guy just lost his job and his wife. Yeah. Okay. It, it has nothing to do with you. And the last thing is grind. Be a grinder. Get up early. Work. Day in, day out. Constant and never-ending uh, improvement in whatever you do. And if you do those four things, if you do those four things, I promise you that, you know, and unless you do something really stupid, you got an excellent chance of being successful in life. That's good stuff, man. Thank you, man. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah, Great crime. perspective. Well said. All right, Jose. I like that, got? man. Well, Sean, you know, uh, where can the fans find more information about your book? Like when is it coming out and where can they connect so, with you through social media? So the book is at the printers as we speak. I'm going to have it in about two weeks and start shipping them out to all the wonderful people who pre-ordered it. And then it'll be going on Amazon, audiobook, et cetera. But you can get it right now, pre-order at wayofthecobra.com. And I'm trying to look for this photo that I have um, because I'm giving people, uh, it's about the next 20 people who order it. They're going to get an autographed photo of me and, uh, and Ralph Macchio at the final tournament. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, Sean.Cannon, or Twitter at Sean Cannon. All right, man. Well, hey, thank you again for your time. We truly, truly, truly appreciate it, man. You've been, it's, been, it's been great. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate talking to you. It was just like, you know, kind of shooting the shit with a couple of buddies. So hey, that's, uh, how, that's how we want it. That's how we want yeah, it to be, man. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I hope we can yeah. do this again, man. And I want to thank you for everything. And I hope you and your families remain safe. And I hope you go out there and kick ass during 2021. Yes, sir. All right? You too, brother. Likewise. Yeah, man. yeah likewise. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to Cobra Kai Never Dies podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview with Sean Kanan, Mike Barnes. Man, he dropped some great nuggets, some inspiration, some wisdom. Go ahead and get that book, Way of the Cobra. Again, you can find it at wayofthecobra.com. One more time, let me say it, wayofthecobra.com. And if you want to connect with Sean, you can follow him on social media at Sean Kanan. Man. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You know, Jose and I are very, very appreciative of your support. Make sure to subscribe to our show if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And if you have some time, go ahead and rate us. Rate us five stars, baby. Go ahead and also leave a review as well. If you're listening on Spotify, make sure you press that follow button so you know when the next Cobra Kai Never Dies podcast is coming out. 
we got some more exciting stuff coming out for you we're gonna do season three awards here pretty soon we're gonna have some more interview with some of the cast from cobra kai and also from the karate kid film franchise so as always guys hey remember cobra kai never dies 